Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Oh, so much to talk about today. So many directions we could go. But let's go to baseball first. An interesting uh, time of the year. It used to be offseason. We know better than that. Derek Falvey joins us from the Minnesota Twins right now. Sydney? You signed one pitcher. What about the future of free agent pitchers? Are there some good ones out there you can afford? No question. I, I think, you know, getting Jake back in the fold was a great step for us. You know, we, we started off with Jose uh, in, in the rotation, certainly leading our group, and then getting Jake to come back. You know, what he did for us last year, the way he pitched, was uh, among the better guys in the game, really. And, and to get those two to head it off, we, we believe in our young guys. We think the likes of Devin Smeltzer and Randy Dobnak and a number of others are going to help us during the course of the year. But to solidify with a couple additional guys will be a, a key focus for us, whether it's through free agency or trade for the next few weeks. So I anticipate, you know, this may take some time and, and certainly the winter, if we think about last year, a lot of signings happening in December and January. So it may take some time, but I'm confident we'll get some more guys with our group. How about your manager getting that award? Is he going to get a big raise? A big... <laughs> <laughs> I would say this, that Rocco is, um, I couldn't be more proud of him for getting that award. I mean, he's somebody who we all got to see over the course of this year fits our organization exceptionally well. I mean, he, he believes uh, in everything that I think the Minnesota Twins have been and are about. And I'm excited for him. I think it's a great recognition and honor of a job well done. He'd be the first to tell you it's not about him. It's about the players and the staff and everybody else that surrounds him, which is which I think is what makes him unique and special. And uh, I, I would say that he's going to be a big part of our future here. Um, and I have, I have no doubt we're going to be, we're going to be partnering and enjoying Rocco Baldelli for a lot of years ahead. Derek, I, I reread my job description. It says I'm in charge of small talk. So congratulations on your uh, new title and promotion. And thank you for joining us this morning. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I feel honored. <laughs> not, not to get any questions. You mentioned staff. One of the risks, and it's not a risk, it's really a reward of having a, a manager who's getting a lot of attention, is everyone knows it's not just a manager. I can't remember an offseason when as many names of Twins support staff have been in the news as potential candidates uh, at, other, at other jobs. I'm, I'm assuming that you see as many pluses in that as minuses, but maybe that's not a fair assumption. No, I think you're, you're 100% accurate. One of the things I mentioned to Jim Polat, Dave St. Peter before, is I said, when we know we're doing something okay here, it'll be when a lot of people, a lot of teams start coming after our people. And I would tell you that that is a sign of a very healthy organization. That's a very healthy uh, coaching staff. We have real talent in this organization, not just at the major league level, but at the minor league levels. And as a result, we are really capturing uh, the attention of the rest of the league as a result. That's a sign of a healthy organization. Now we need to continue to backfill those people and be a big part of what we're doing going forward. And I fully anticipate that uh, we'll continue to do that as we go ahead. You know, you mentioned the names of a couple internally developed candidates for eventually joining the starting rotation. One name you didn't mention, though, we got teased with a little bit in September, was Gratterall. Where does the organization currently see him in two to three years? 
You know, Bruce Sarver is a, a big part of our organization, and, and we haven't made the final determination as to where he fits best. We believe he's a guy who can go start for us uh, as well as pitch out of the bullpen, and I think that at this stage we know how impactful some of those innings are at the back end of a game, and we know he has those skills. So at this point he's gone through some ups and downs from a, from a health standpoint. We just want to make sure we're putting him in the best position to be successful. At this stage I think we saw the way he pitched out of the bullpen at the end of the year. We think he can continue to do that in an effective way. So we'll see as the winter plays out. We think he could go in either direction, but we want to make sure that we set him up for success, and we want to make sure that we see the way the rest of our team shakes out before we make that final decision. When do you start working on the arbitration contract? That starts just around now. You have these guys under control and, and, and uh, the process from Major League Baseball uh, in helping to guide uh, each of those pieces uh, it just, just concluded at the end of GM meeting. So we fully anticipate having those conversations into, into December and then ultimately into January. What you realize is most of the players in arbitration uh, they don't sign contracts until close to the end of the arbitration period. So I would expect that most of those deals come in sometime in the month of December, but it certainly could roll over into a portion of January. Derek, knowing you and your staff, you have a long-range plan for everybody. What does a long-range plan for Buxton look like to try to get an entire year of a healthy Buxton? Yeah, it's 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 been a challenge for him, certainly, to stay healthy over the last couple of years. But I would say this, that uh, you know, you mentioned long range. I, I think more for Byron in, in terms of short range. What are we focused on just this winter, which is uh, fully focused on his rehabilitation. He's working uh, four days a week with a physical therapist to continue to get strength in that shoulder. He's responded exceptionally well in the early going. You know, he certainly healed uh, as quickly or more quickly than we anticipated. So when we did the surgery, we did it with with the idea that uh, while he lost the last month of our season, the hope was that would give him an ample time to make sure that by February he'd be in a great spot, and we fully expect and, that he's tracking to that now. So the key for us is just making sure he's healthy through the winter. In terms of long-term and going forward, you know, the key there is just making sure that he continues to put his body in, in good positions to absorb some of that contact or when he has some challenges. We've certainly talked to him about you know, going into the walls, and, and that's been a hot topic of sorts uh, over time. I think he's learning and maturing in that space. I can think of nobody better than Rocco Baldelli to help him with that as a young, former, uh, quick, speedy outfielder in the major league. So we'll continue to, to progress with that to make sure that he puts himself in as healthy a position as possible. Have you replaced any coaches you lost? Well, at the major league level right now, we, we know we lost James Rousen to, to the Miami uh, the Marlins, and as a result, we've worked a, a process on that. We're close to uh, finalizing on that front. I feel really good about where we're going to head there. Uh, admittedly, though, we know that there could be more change on the horizon. You know, uh, and, and again, as we spoke earlier, it's a, a reflection of those candidates being great great fits for other opportunities, whether that's Jeremy Hefner as a potential pitching coach elsewhere or even Derek Shelton as a, a potential manager. I, I would say that there are still some dominoes to fall across baseball, and once we get there, we'll know a better, we'll have a better sense. But we have backup plans and, and strategies for how we're going to fill each of these positions over the next uh, next few weeks. I had a couple of questions. One is first base. Uh, Crone is out there, could come back. Uh, but whether, uh, what other options do you have at first? Uh, the eventual move of Sano there. A couple of years ago, it looked like Garver might be groomed as a catcher slash first baseman. We didn't see a lot of that last year. So if you talk about first base. And then Lewis and where he is in the system. I, I think he was the MVP of the Arizona Fall League. And I actually saw him play a couple of years ago in, in Iowa. Uh, obviously a, a bright cog in your future. How far away is he? 
Yep. So when we look at first base, um, there's a lot of options we could go down the path on. Certainly CJ, uh, we felt we saw a really good version of CJ early in the year. That thumb injury that he ultimately had surgery on in the offseason, I think, did hamper his second half of the year. So we'll work through whether or not that's a fit going forward here in the short term. Uh, but I would say this, that when you when you start thinking about the way we can be flexible on our team, I mean, you mentioned a few of them, Miguel Sano playing some first base, Mitch Garver potentially getting some games at first to give him some rest from behind the plate and get his bat in the lineup more often. And then, you know, not to mention Marwin Gonzalez, who we know is a bit of a Swiss Army knife for us and can play just about everywhere. I think the more flexible your 26-man roster now can be uh, going forward, I think that uh, the better off we'll be. So we'll be creative there. We have a few internal options for sure. But if it means that we're getting some split time over there, I, I do think that's a benefit to us. With respect to Royce Lewis, he had about as good an Arizona Fall League as anyone can have. He was, as you mentioned, Dave, uh, the MVP of that league this, this fall. He played. I was getting texts from friends around the game that are either scouts with other clubs or or front office members that get a chance to see him. And, and usually they were uh, preceded by a wow and then uh, some follow-up around you're going to really enjoy watching this kid play. So I think that he's, he's continuing to progress. He finished the year at AA. I would anticipate him starting again there just to get his feet under him. And uh, once you get to the upper levels of the minor leagues, things can come at any point there. But the player dictates when they're ready to get to the major leagues in my mind. Are you, what do you hear about Buxton? How's his recovery? Well, I would say with Buck, you know, as, as we just said, it's going really well. So I, I fully anticipate at this stage, uh, barring any, any setbacks through the remainder of the winter, that we're looking at late January and early February, him being full, full go come spring training. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that progresses. Really, at this stage of rehab, you're just keeping an eye on where, uh, where, how he feels. The key is going to be the late stages of rehab, when he gets to that full swing or full extension. Uh, with his left arm being his, being his left labrum that, that was repaired. So once he gets to that stage, then you have a really good idea of where he is, but you want to get him as strong as possible before he gets to that point. Derek, I'm, I'm big on two-part questions uh, today, I guess. First of all, uh, uh, during the year, fairly quietly, you signed a, a Cuban player, and I totally lost track of him, and I knew you were coming on today, and I thought I would ask you about him. I'm not sure where where he fits in, into future plans. And then uh, secondly, uh, everyone talked about free agents this time of year. Are you open to trades? Yeah, so with respect to Cano, who you mentioned, the, the Cuban player, right-handed reliever for us, uh, who we think can, can start as well. We got him into pro ball over here. Uh, he's got a great arm. I mean, you see, you see the velocity and the slider come out of his hand, and, and you see the makings and molding of a, of a, a pitcher who really has some, some talent there. The key now is just refining that mix and getting him to throw consistent strikes. We sent him down to Florida. Uh, he started out for us uh, early on as a starter to build up a few innings at a time, and then uh, we'll continue to build him from there. But he was uh, he's on the right track, and we think he's, he's somewhere down the line could help us, whether it's in the rotation or the bullpen. Um, and then in terms of uh, in, in terms of your uh, – what was the second question? Around oh, it trade? was trades versus uh, the free agent that everybody concentrates on. Yeah, it, that's, that's fairly common, too, to start that process now. I, I'll give you – Kind of example, we were at the general manager's meetings last week in Arizona, and as you're meeting with agents um, of different of different free agent players, uh, you, you talk about what their what fit we may have for them. We don't presume they have interest in us at the outset, but we like to hear if they if they do and what they're looking for, and that's a big part of the conversations. But at the same time, you try and meet with 29 other clubs while you're there, at least either 
whether it's formally in a, in a sit-down setting or even just between meetings and catching up on what team needs are. And we leave the general manager's meetings with a much better idea as to what we think teams are, are, are trying to do, whether they're in rebuild mode or, or go for it now, or if they're seeking, seeking pitching or hitting. So it gives you a, a, a platform from which to design some creative ideas. So we've already had some of those with clubs, just talking about potential fits that they have on their major league roster that could come our way. And uh, we'll continue to do so through the winter. All right, interesting answer. That's one to keep an eye on. All right, Sid's got our final wrap up here. Sid, can, can, can you see you signing some players like he did last year? We'll definitely sign a number through the course of the winter. I, I think for for fans out there, you know, we we pay attention to the the pace of free agency and certainly try and stay engaged in it. Uh, the reality of baseball is a lot of these signings have come much later in the winter than I think. Uh, we have been used to over the years. So we just need to stay patient, recognize that agents and teams are working down different paths. So we've been aggressive in terms of conversations we've had with individual free agents or, or even through trade, as Dave, you just asked. And I think the, the pace just, uh, there's not much you can do to control it. And I think that we need to, we need to continue to stay active and, and in contact with a lot of these players and their, their representatives, and we'll do so. And I'm hopeful that we'll have uh, more clarity uh, hopefully before the turn of the year, but ultimately uh, we'll continue to work it through winter meetings, and it should be a fun off season for sure. Come on, man! You had that new got that new title. It's been two weeks since the series. Sid needs to see some action. <laughs> no question. <laughs> hey, I would I would like it just as much as you said. That's for sure. No question. Sid, you want to wrap it up, Mister Falvey? Always a pleasure to have you on the radio. We'll get you a great certificate to merge Russian best steakhouse in the country. Thanks so much, Derek. Thanks for having me on, guys. Have a great Sunday. That's Derek Falvey. Glenn Mason next. Glenn's got some uh, airplane issues in Chicago. He's good enough to Texas. Said, hey, guys, if you want me, I can do her now. So quick break. Talk to Glenn Mason right after this. Then P.J. Fleck. You're listening to the Sports Huddle. Mike's on his way in. Sid and Dave. All right, we are back. Glenn Mason standing by to talk to us uh, still in Chicago. Had some plane issues. Was good enough to let us know he was available. Sid, before we talk to Glenn Mason, I know you want to say something about Starkey. If you have a hearing aid, hearing problem, there's only one place to go. Starkey, where Bill Austin and his crew will absolutely do a fantastic job of clearing your problem up. They're in Eden Prairie. They've got great teachers. And don't fail to take my advice. All right, Jeff, something for Glenn Mason. Well, you... You recalled it. You said the Gophers had a chance to win, and uh, once they get acclimated, they really played them tough. They could have won the game, but like Mason, like uh, like Big uh, Gabe Flick said, they played one of their worst games of the year, dropping ball, uh, getting penalty, everything else. The biggest problem they got, if that. Uh, Taylor, if the quarterback is is out of the Northwestern game, that could be tough. Well, that would be a good that would be a good game for that quarterback to miss because I can tell you, I don't know if you've seen Northwestern. I've had the opportunity, the fortune, if you want to put it that way, to watch them a number of times. They are not a very good football team. Uh, uh, yeah, they won against uh, UMass, but UMass was on the way to beat. The worst defense in college football history, if you can imagine that. Uh, they're, they're just not very good. But, you know, I heard P.J.'s comments after the game about he 
the worst game that they played. I, I'd have to respectfully disagree with them. Uh, yeah, they dropped some balls. Uh, but the way they fought back, um, I think you had to be proud of the Gophers. And, you know, if Tyler Johnson doesn't drop that, that pass on fourth down, I think they probably, you know, win the football game. But everybody's got to remember, Kinnick Stadium is a really, really tough place to play. Gophers got off to a bad start. And, you know, this is about, uh, I don't know, 10 years in a row that uh, uh, Iowa has beaten uh, uh, a top 10 team at home in that environment. So uh, it was a tough ball game. It was a great game to watch if you didn't care who won. Uh, we were all in Chicago sitting in the green room, sitting on the end of our chair, just a great college football game in a great setting. You know, Glenn, after a few years, it all kind of runs together, but I saw that stat. The Gophers hadn't won at Kinnick since 1999. Was that the game where Sean Hoffman, who could hardly raise his arms above his chest, got his arm way up in the air and knocked down a pass at the end of the game to preserve the Gopher victory? Yeah, it's a, uh, I was thinking about that game. Uh, Dave, you got a good memory. A couple things stuck out in my mind there. You know, first of all, Arlen Bruce, who made that miraculous catch at Penn, Penn State, State. On, on fourth down, he caught a bubble screen. And he took it all the way down there to score. And as he was going in the end zone, that's when the officials were really enforcing excessive celebration. Our photographer, our athletic department photographer, yelled at Arlen to get a picture. He turned around and looked at him, and we got flagged for it. I wanted to fire the photographer on the spot. He didn't mean anything by it. Uh, and then uh, toward the end of the game, Jack Brewer, uh, who played for us, who at one time was a defensive back, but moved to wide receiver. And, we had guys falling like flies that day. I ran out of defensive backs, and I called Jack over. I said, Jack, i got to put you in to play safety. And he said, Coach, I don't know what to do. I said, well, you used to play. You, you know what to do. So he sent him in there, and don't you know the first play is in there, the defensive coordinator calls a defense that we didn't use when Jack was playing. <laughs> and he looked over at me like, what's going on? And then right down there at the end, uh, I was driving and. And uh, Sean Hoffman tried to come off the field. He couldn't raise his arm, and I didn't have any linebackers left. If he came off, we'd have to play him with 10 guys. Uh, so I said, Sean, you can't send him back in. And somehow, some way, with that bad arm, bad shoulder, they threw the ball, and he got his bad arm up over his head, knocked the ball down, and we went to a ball game. Yeah, boy, that was someplace. Sid's got a question, Sid? You surprised the way their offensive line protected the quarterback against the horse? Best defense line in the country. Uh, I'm not sure I understood that question. He is asking about the Gopher offensive line protecting uh, Morgan against the fourth best defensive uh, line in the country. Well, I'll be honest with you, I thought uh, I was disappointed in, in the offensive line. They gave up, uh, you know, six sacks. And I can tell you that I thought that the, the backs, the running backs from Minnesota, really did a good job. They helped those tackles out a number of times. There was a number of times that. A.J. Epineza, who's really good, went around uh, the left tackle like, you know, he wasn't there. But, uh, you know, overall, and, and I was critical of the Gopher offensive line early in the year, and then lately I've been singing their praises. But, you know, giving up, you know, six sacks, uh, um, I, I thought was a little bit, you know, disappointing. And the inability of the Gophers to be able to run the football, they ran for just over 60 yards. Uh, the offensive line, I mean, if, if, if you want to take it to the level to be the West Division champ, uh, you got two games left. That offensive line is going to have to play better. 
Yeah, uh, Glenn, we're going to have to let you go because we've got to make room for PJ. We really appreciate you letting us know you would be available early. Someone We so much look forward to these. Sid wants to say, he probably wants to give you those certificates, and I want to thank you for the text during the week. We had every detective we know out on that, but it's glad to know those certificates made their way to you. Sid? You get well, your you know, certificate. David. You got them all. We, I personally <laughs> mail them. Well, it's a, you know, it's amazing when you put a stamp on the envelope how they get delivered. Sid. You're the best. <laughs> hey, Mace, thanks so much. Uh, travel safely. Right. All right, that's Glenn Mason back with B.J. Fleck after this. Sports Huddle, Sid, Dave, and Mike. All right, we are back. Time to talk gopher football with head coach P.J. Fleck, Sid, who joins us right now. Hey, hey, give us any news on Taylor Morgan. Boy, I hope he's okay. Well, I think he'll be okay. You know, I have not seen him this morning yet, though. But, uh, you know, I'm really proud of our, our trainers and really proud of our teammates who made him go down. Once they saw him, he was wobbly since um, the officials didn't stop it. But we didn't have any timeouts. We're telling him to go down. And I'm glad his players, you know, Muhammad or whoever the running back was grabbing, just kind of got him to go down on a knee because uh, that's a serious issue. And so um, that's what the spotters are for in in, in college football. And that's also what, you know, for the officials are for to be able to see things like that. And we saw it telling him to go down and he went down and uh, I hope he's okay. So we just got to make sure that, uh, you know, take all the proper protocol as we continue to go through, as he continues to move forward. Can you talk about your team staying in the game the whole way, despite having such a tough start and so many drop balls and, and penalties? Well, it- yeah, we did. We did so many things that there was uncharacteristic of us, you know. And uh, you got to give Iowa a lot of credit; they're a really good football team. But uh, they played really good football, and probably one of their best of the year. And 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 we didn't. And that's what that's what happens when you play a really good team in a really good in a really hostile environment. We got down early, changed a little bit of how uh, you, you manage the game, and um, you know. But I was really proud of our players' response. You know, they were able to stay in the game, and as bad as we played. Uh, we still have a chance in the final two minutes to go win the game. So that's all I can ask for is their best. We did, It just wasn't our night. We didn't play our best. And uh, we're going to learn a lot from this, and we're going to be 0-0 zero and zero come this afternoon. Was Iowa's defense on, against the run tougher than you expected? Well, they're really good against the run, but we were down so fast. Uh, we were down 13 nothing, which completely changes the dynamics of the, of, of the game. And they were moving the well, the ball well on offense too. So we felt like we had to be able to get the ball in the air a little bit faster than maybe what we wanted it to be. Um, but you know, we were able to execute on some big plays and obviously had some crucial drops. You had five big penalties for sixty-eight yards, and the Hawkeye they just had three for sixteen. That's something that hasn't happened all year. Well, I think the big thing to know is that, you know, I mean, we had, what, five penalties? I mean, everybody thinks that's a lot for us. Um, That is a lot for us. We're one of the least penalized teams in the country. Um, They came in really crucial instances, crucial circumstances of the game, and our players are going to learn from that. It's not what you do. It's how you do it and when those situations occur. You know, football is a game of situations. It's not just a game of plays, and uh, ours were in some critical situations. P.J., when you got flagged for running on the field in the Johnson situation, did you have any chance to plead your case, or was that, that flag out so fast? There wasn't any chance to – there wasn't a case to plead. Uh, the, Johnson dropped the ball, so no matter what, 
it's their ball, right? Because right. it was a dead ball foul, personal foul after the play. So he gets hit. They throw the foul. But it's Iowa's ball immediately. I see a player laying there not moving, which I always do. Look back my seven-year, I run onto the field to make sure my player's okay. As I'm running out there, he starts getting up, and that's okay. And then I just make sure he's okay. These are, these are my sons, just like, uh, you know, when parents give these young men to me to raise them, I'm their parent, and I'm never going to stop being their parent. I, I never knew there was a red light or a green light. Uh, I got a text from the Bill Carolla, head of officials this morning, uh, basically saying that, you know, the, the head official said there was nothing necessarily that I did wrong, except that if you got out there too fast, I uh, wasn't running out there for anything else except to check on my player, which I've done my entire career. And I did to, to uh, Tyler Johnson earlier in the game. So I'm not sure uh, what that, like I said, why that was thrown, but it was thrown. Um, I understand it. I, they said I got out there too fast. But again, all that did was cost us 10 yards, you know, because it was half the distance to the goal for Iowa and their penalty. Our penalty or my penalty gave them plus 10 yards. So instead of from the minus seven, went to the 17 or something like that. So, um, but again, I'm not going to stop caring for my players. And when I see a player not moving on the ground, I'm, I want to be the first one there. I'm responsible for all these children, all these kids, all these student athletes. And if I see that, I, I, I'm, I didn't, no one's ever told me I can't. So that I just reacted how I normally react when I see somebody not moving on the field. What a great coaching job. They got 13 points in the first quarter, and then at halftime, you adjusted them completely. What did exactly do? Well, it wasn't very, it wasn't very hard. We just had to tackle uh, better. We did not tackle well defensively in the first half. We weren't playing aggressive. Uh, we were playing a little standoffish, in my opinion, just being able to feel the game out. In a game like that, you can't feel a game out. We didn't feel out Penn State. We attacked. And I felt like we kind of felt it out on defense a little bit. And uh, you got to give them credit because they can do multiple things. Their play-action game is very difficult to defend. Their stretch play is really difficult to defend. Um, and, again, I just thought our players, again, played hard, but we just didn't play up to the capability that we're capable of playing, and that 100% falls on me. P.J., if the news on Morgan has suggested to either camp players should be rested, where do you stand on the redshirt situation now with Kramer and Clark? Are they equal number of games up to this point? Yeah, uh, well, uh, Kramer would have a had two games on top oh, of right. Jacob, so uh, it just depends. We'll just see where everything's at. Uh, I think it's a little early to jump to conclusions right now about what would happen. We just got to be able to see where Tanner's at, obviously today and as we go through the week. How about uh, Morgan passing for three hundred sixty-eight yards, and how about you outgaining Iowa on their home field by a hundred fifty yards? Well, look, we, it, it, that's why stats really don't matter. If you look at it on paper, I mean, you think we'd possibly win the game, but we didn't. We made too many mistakes. We didn't do the blocking and the tackling better than they did the blocking and the tackling and the catching. Uh, we had too many drops. Uh, we had too many critical uh, penalties just in some really critical situations. Um, but, again, our, our team's fight and their courage and their strength and their culture, I mean, it exudes on the field. That's a really, really good football team and a really tough place to play. And as poorly as we played, which is my responsibility, we were still in the game and had an opportunity to win the game on the final drive. There was a lot of opportunities. That, that game was very difficult to manage uh, just based on our kicking situation of where we're at um, and then also based on where the scores were at, what was going on, how they were playing, the points they were putting up. 
it puts you in a different predicament in terms of, especially at the end of the half, making sure you get some type of points to go into the locker room and be down two scores instead of three. You know, PJ, you, you mentioned the kicking situation. Any uh, update on, on uh, when your kickers will be back to full health and when you might get Dunlop back on, on the offensive line? Yeah, no update just yet. You know, I'll find out a little bit more this afternoon. Any special players really be outstanding beside Morgan and the receiver? I'm sorry, say that again? Did you have any one or two players outside of Morgan and the receivers really play outstanding? Well, like I said, you know, I thought our receivers played really well, but when we put the film on today, there's going to be some crucial drops and big-time moments that we could have put points on the board and didn't have to settle for a field goal or going for it on fourth down. Um, you know, but I, I, I thought just when you kind of looked at us as a, as a whole, I thought there were some guys up front who played really hard. Um, you know, I thought our running backs ran hard. But, again, you got to give Iowa credit. They're a really good football team. They play tremendous defense, and they're one of the top ten defenses in the country for a reason. And we played back-to-back top ten defenses. And we've had one where we've executed at a really high level and won the game. And then there was one on this week that we didn't execute at the highest level. We executed, but didn't execute in our standards at a high level, and we lost the game. PJ, uh, the challenges of getting the team ready to play Northwestern, I know you're, you're one game at a time. What will you do differently this week, if, if anything, in preparation for that game in Evanston? Well, I don't think you do anything different at all. We're 0-0, zero and zero, you know, and we need to be able, just like we won the, the first nine games and learn from the first nine games, we are going to take this loss and we are going to squeeze all the juice from the orange, learn from it, do everything we can uh, to get better from it, and then go right back to work. That's all you know how to do. As coaches, that's all we know how to do is go right back to work. Uh, we need to emphasize a lot of other things. Um, but, I, again, I thought we had an outstanding week of practice. If you take four or five plays away, right, I mean, it's, it's a completely different ball game. But those four or five plays, those are the ones that cost you games. And we've had those go our way. And then this time we didn't have it go our way. But it takes nothing away from what this football team's accomplished this year. We still have a lot of season left to play. Um, you know, our only loss is by margin of four points at Kinnick Stadium against Iowa, uh, you know, and we're going to find a way to get better from this. Uh, PJ, my last question, then Sid might want to wrap it up. Uh, end of the game situation, two-minute offense, how much latitude does your quarterback, I'll say Morgan because it's been Morgan essentially all year, have in, in spiking the ball or, or whatever uh, to go into that hurry up near the goal line? Uh, well, he's really getting the call from the sideline from yeah. us. Uh, we, we'll, we'll manage the game for him. He just looks over. We'll give him exactly what we want to be able to do. Um, but I thought we managed it really well. We gave ourselves four seconds. You know, if we don't get the touchdown, right, and we go for it, now we're down three scores going into halftime. There's a completely different mindset of a football team, in my opinion, when you're down three scores. Okay? We needed something from that drive. We needed something. As, as bad as the first half as we played, we needed something positive to take into the locker room. And I felt the highest percentage of that was the three points. We got the three points. Now we're only down two scores. I felt like I could give them the message I needed to deliver to them with a two-score deficit. And if it was a three-score deficit, now all of a sudden you've done everything you can. You missed field goals. That'd be, you, know, you missed field goals. You missed a touchdown. Now all of a sudden it's not only touchdowns that you've missed, it's, it's also field goals. And so what I wanted to be able to do was just get the easy points, give ourselves a manageable two-score deficit, get them in the locker room, settle them down, give them the message, and then they came out the first drive smoking like we wanted to and made it a one-possession game.
Yep. Sid? What do you tell a team after a tough loss like that? Yeah, I just talked to my son, too, about this. I said, you win some and you lose some. Uh, there's times you don't play well and you're going to win. There's times you don't play well and you play a really good team and they're going to beat you. Uh, and I said in the press conference, we put our hand on the stove too many times. We lived in that 22% world. We talk about the 78%. When we win, we usually win the 78%. All year we have except for two games, and that was Fresno State and Georgia Southern. Well, when you play against a team like Iowa that's ranked and you fall in that 22%, we lost the 78% battle, you get beat. And so, again, it just continues to bring validation towards that 78%. you got to win the ball, the ball turnover margin. You've got to be able to have less missed tackles. We had way more missed tackles than Iowa did. They did a better job tackling. And then they had more explosive plays when you looked at it. And so when, when you look at all those things, you know, we didn't deserve to win the football game. With all that said, we had a chance to win the football game, but we just didn't deserve to do it. Our team will learn from it, put our ore back in the water, and uh, find a way to be hopefully 1-0 and against Northwestern. DJ, you can't say it. I can say it. That officiating was terrible. So one-sided was unbelievable. What a coaching job you've done. Unbelievable. And for appearing on this show, Murray's loves it when you, when you come in. And good luck. Let's pray that uh, Morgan is okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for all the boats. Sky Mako Gophers. Okay, it's PJ Fleck. We'll be back with more sports right after this. Sports Huddle said Dave and Mike. All right, we are back. We're going to flip it over and talk Viking in just a minute. Uh, before we do that, uh, I want to go apply to, uh, reply to a text message uh, from Marty in Minneapolis, which I really do appreciate. We're going to ask PJ Fleck about this. He mentioned the 78 percentage thing three different times in that interview. He has an absolute mantra about how important that number is. It wouldn't be fair of me to try to paraphrase it because it's a fairly complicated formula. But Marty's question is a good one. I think a lot of our other listeners probably have that same question. Next week, if we can remember out that far, we're going to ask PJ, spend a little bit of time and fill us in on exactly what he means by that statistic. Also, I just want to mention that, you know, one thing we obviously did not bring up, uh, we would have with Glenn Mason had we had more time, was the continued talk about the Rose Bowl. Uh, I had several texts during the week. Yes, the goal for uh, the University of Minnesota is working on multiple travel programs to the Rose Bowl and or what other bowls would apply. So people said to me, I have no inside information, but there are studies going on and there are there are different scenarios playing out. So there will be travel packages. There will probably be multiple travel packages, perhaps with the athletics, uh, maybe the urbans, certainly the alumni association, I know an association is working on. It. So stay tuned. As soon as we have that information here on WCC Radio, we will be happy to share it. We will talk about on the sports huddle. And then my final thing before you go to the Vikings is Rashini Rajkumar has the president of the Rose Bowl on her show. Her show follows ours at one ten this afternoon. Rashini will be talking to the president of the Rose Bowl. That should be very interesting for people who are interested about that, so you want to listen to that. Okay, Viking talk. Sid had a chance to catch up with Kevin Safansky. Let's listen in on that. Let's talk about your offensive uh, going good in Dells. Yeah, the guys played really hard. I think what you saw as watching it live and then watch when you turn the tape on, those guys played so hard. The effort was outstanding throughout the night. To be able to run the ball as often as we did in that second half really spoke to our offensive line, our fullback, our tight end, playing with great effort. How about uh, Rudolph? Two, two uh, touchdowns and a... Two points. And uh, what's it called? Two-point conversion. 
Yeah, Kyle, you know, from day one, he's just been so good in this offense, uh, being a well-rounded tight end. There's not many of them left in the game. And the way he affects our offense positively in the run game, in pass protection, and as you saw down there in the red zone, making a big catch on third down, he's been a very valuable member of our offense. How about uh, Cook? Uh, special player, just won the player of the week I saw. You know, we've seen over the course of this season, when he gets the ball in space, he's really, it's hard for defenses to get him down. So whether we hand it to him or throw it to him, he's making plays, making explosive plays. And in this day and age, you need those to be able to move the ball on any defense because there's some really stout fronts out there. I don't think he... He drafted the seventh. The uh, the lineman? No. How about the lineman? Drafted Garrett? Six. Bradbury? Jackson. Oh, the, the wide receiver, Olabisi. Olabisi, uh, from day one, has come in and been a very uh, dependable player. And then every time the ball's come his way, he's made a play. And it's uh, really as simple as that. We think he's got a high ceiling. He has a long way to go. That's why he works really hard. Along with the rest of the rookie wide receiver class, I think we got a real good group, but they got to keep working because I don't think they're there yet. How about the running back? You got, the, you know, Madison. Yeah. Yeah, Alexander. Uh, again, credit to our scouting department. He fits our mold both schematically and the way he plays physically. But he's a really smart kid. So we ask a lot of our running backs, and and he works so closely with Kennedy Polamalu. To be able to come in and contribute right away, I think, speaks to the kid's work ethic. And how about uh, uh, talking about uh, Denver? What do you know about them? They're the fourth-ranked defense, and it's no mystery because you turn on the tape, and it's really impressive. They can get after the quarterback. They are stout against the run. They have players at every level of defense. They're obviously well-coached. We will have our work cut out for us. What do you look for in a game Sunday? We have to go up, really play our brand of football. We got to be uh, finding some explosive plays in the run in the past game, and then ultimately just try and play some complimentary football and get a win any which way we can. Well, you're in pretty good shape now. You're in pretty good shape now. Health-wise, you saying? The team. Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, this season we get we are so in, into it when it comes to we don't really look behind us, we don't really look in front, so we kind of have blinders on week to week. And I will say this, I think our, our team understands how important each game is and, and how important a, a really good week of practice is to the outcome of the game. So I think the guys are really looking forward to putting a bunch of good days together here and then and see what we got on Sunday. I miss Steelers. Yeah, anytime you have a great player out, you're going to miss them. Uh, and then it's our job as coaches and the player's job ultimately to to step up to the challenge and, and find a way to to win when we don't have one of our great players. Thank you. Thanks, Sid. All right, Sid, uh, a lot of talk there about injuries. How do you feel about this game against uh, Denver today? Uh, I know you were a little bit concerned. It seems to me the Vikings have enough talent to, to win despite the injuries. Vikings will win all right, but they do have a lot of key players out. They have Harris, who's the best back, best defensive back. They have Sanford, 
one of their best tackles. They have Seal and, uh, and you, they got some other guys banged up. Denver has played pretty good defensively, yeah. but they're at home. They should they should win. What a how do they trouble? How did you like the Vikings last week uh, against Dallas? Uh, you know, Dallas is a much better team than than Denver, and that game was on the road. Dallas, yeah. Well, I thought they were very fortunate to win it, but they won. They won. Yeah, that's all that counts. At the end of the game, they can't they they can't let up at the end of the game. They got to be able to. Keep on going at the end of the game. All right. We're going to get Mike Max's thoughts on that. Mike has been over at the stadium uh, during the 10 o'clock hour. He'll be in here in about five minutes. Uh, we've got another, to go, another hour to go. Stick around. Sports Huddle. Sid, Dave, and Mike. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.